why does Quebec always seem to have the most heavy-handed lockdown measures, and yet at the same time, their politicians always seem to have the highest approval ratings? What is going on in La Belle Provence? I'm Candace Malcolm, and this is The Candace Malcolm Show. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. Now, from the outside, Quebec just seems like a total madhouse. Every time there's a new fad or a new restriction, it seems like Quebec is jumping to be the first to implement it. To me, the silliest thing out of all the silly restrictions that we've seen in COVID, the idea of a curfew, the idea that somehow at night COVID becomes more dangerous. And if you're out after a certain hour, you become more infectious. It's just just so silly. And it just shows the anti-scientific approach. And yet that's one of the things that Quebec continues to do. So we don't really talk a lot about Quebec on the Candace Malcolm show and here at True North. And and I want to try to rectify that and correct that. And so we're going to do a a complete uh, focus today on what's going on in Quebec, as well as some of the broader trends. And to do that, I'm joined by someone who I am a big fan of, I've admired for a very, very long time. I'm talking about David Freiheit, who runs the YouTube channel Viva Fry. And um, David is a, he was a lawyer in Montreal from 2007 to 2018, before making the leap into YouTube. And he's now sort of a full-time YouTuber, social media guy. So Viva or David, it's so great to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. I'm still a member of the bar. So technically I have one file left and it's a trial coming up in 2023 that we started, the file started in 2015. So uh, as mad as the world is, the practice of litigation is a, uh, a very long and tedious process. Well, that's interesting. We can get into it. And I, I, before we do, I, I, I just want to hear a little bit. You know, we, we've never had you on the show before. I've, I've been a fan for a long time. I really got into your YouTube videos. I think it was back during the Brett Kavanaugh hearings and you sort of broke everything down in like a very logical, coherent, rational way. I, re- I really appreciate that. I, I love I love your stuff. I, I also like how, um, you know, so, sometimes I see you doing YouTube videos in the car or with kids running around and it's such a, a great reflection of, of, of real life. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what made you take this jump from being, you know, a, a super serious uh, lawyer uh, into doing something more fun and so, something more interactive, like uh, becoming a YouTuber? Well, it, it's funny. Going back to Sejep, I was in Dawson College, studied film, studied creative arts, fine arts, and then studied philosophy. But then you have to get a job and you have to, you know, go and integrate into real life. So I got a law degree and then practice, but I've always loved that stuff. And the practice of law, I never loved for the reason, you know, tedious, paper pushing, soul crushing. When you win, you lose. When you lose, you lose. Um, and so I kept on saying, you know, if I don't like it more next year, I'll stop. If I don't like it more next year, I'll stop. Then I had my first kid and I walked out of the big firm, ended up starting my own boutique. It was a solo practice turned into a boutique litigation. But seven years into that, still didn't like it. And on the sideline, I was making videos playing around on YouTube, playing around with GoPros. And I discovered video, videography, you know, content creation. But I noticed every time I put up a video about what it's like to be a lawyer, people got engaged. They liked it. They said more of this. And then it just happened. I mean, it, I, I did a breakdown of an Alex, deposition, an Alex Jones deposition in 2018. Uh, and that really caused me to discover the niche. I don't like practicing law, but I'm reasonably decent at understanding it and explaining it. Although I think I was good at practicing as well. And then I just, the channel turned into that and it, you know, it, it went to where it is now, which is, uh, you know, breaking down the lawsuits litigation of general stuff, but a lot of COVID stuff for the last two years. The Brett Kavanaugh was interesting. That was back in the day where I tried to remain neutral with my own personal opinion. And I still explain both sides, but now I've become much more vocal in explaining which side I, uh, I side with and which side I believe in. Uh, Brett Kavanaugh, I remember at the time, 
I can understand both sides, even if I didn't agree with both sides as much. I thought one side was definitely had a stronger argument than the other. Uh, and now, you know, I think now it's time for people to get the facts and then also hear opinions from people they either trust or do not trust, uh, depending on how they view me. It's, it's funny how you describe the law profession, because my, my husband is also a, you know, he calls himself a recovering or retired uh, corporate lawyer. And, and he, he described it as, as the legal profession is like a pie eating competition, where if you win, the prize is more pie, right? So it's just like a never ending <laughs> thing it's, there. It's, but I, oh, it's, sorry, it's, it's even more depressing than that. It's like, if you win, everybody's still unhappy, because they've paid the lawyer, however much it's taken however many years. And when you lose, they're even more unhappy. And it was at the point where like, I, I didn't even feel good when I won. And I, I sometimes I would win so devastatingly, I would still feel bad because it involved crushing somebody else. So yeah, pie eating contest. I, I might pick something that I don't like eating, like a mayonnaise eating contest. <laughs> well, that's good. And I will admit, so when I first came across your channel and it was during the Brett Kavanaugh hearings, I, I kind of assumed that you were on the left just because I, 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 you know, I made the assumption because you're a lawyer, I find that most people in the legal profession uh, tend to be liberals and that you're from Montreal. It was like two strikes against you. So I, I just assumed, you know, this guy is really reasonable and really fair because he's presenting both sides. And that's something that I find is totally absent on the political left. And so it didn't, you know, when, when, when it sort of came out that you decided to run for the PPC and your political persuasion became more evident. It's like, okay, no wonder he was being so fair about both sides because it doesn't seem to be something that the left uh, tends to do uh, very well. I, I want to ask you though, as, as a YouTuber, as someone who gauge on the social media side of things as sort of new media, what is your view on the traditional media in Canada, in Quebec? You know, we, we can see the, the sort of legacy media fading away into irrelevancy and, you know, uh, so, so, some of the issues um, with, with, with it just being untrusted, unfair and younger people not engaging at all. I wonder what, what's your perspective on the future of the traditional media, legacy media, and uh, how, how do you see your role and, and the role of, of, of platforms like YouTube and people doing video blogs um, like you do um, in, in changing the landscape? I'll preface it. Uh, they're liars. And I, I don't think I ever fully appreciated it, or I don't think they were as egregious overt liars as they have become. And I don't know if it's because they've taken so much federal money that they are now indebted to the hand that feeds them. Some people say they were always liars, but I do remember once upon a time, W5, uh, CTV doing investigative journalism, undercover stuff, you know, secretly recorded video stuff to blow the lid off controversies. I remember that in my life, 60 Minutes used to do it. I don't know when they became such liars or if they were always liars, but I just wasn't aware of it. But they're dishonest to the point where it can't be incompetence and it can't be um, anything but malice or deliberate partisanship. Uh, when I discovered, this was part of my, my red pilling process, when I discovered that you know, Trudeau effectively bought off the media with I think it was $600 million in subsidies, uh, when I found out that the CBC and Radio-Canada are subsidized to the tune of a billion dollars a year by the federal government, it all started to make sense. But with the advent and the explosion of independent media on YouTube, on Twitter, on, on social media platforms, it became even more in your face. And it became even more like a, an existential fight for survival because even with the billion dollar subsidies, they still can't compete. They still uh, are losing uh, traction. They're still losing traffic and they're losing credibility. Uh, but I, th I think it's gotten worse over time. Throw money into the equation, it definitely gets worse. Throw their existence into the equation. You know, there's the old expression, I forget who it was that said it, but when you fight corruption, corruption fights back. And, 
you know, the, the more independent media gains credibility, pushes back and reveals the lies, uh, the more what we called legacy media or traditional media or mainstream media lashes out. But throw money into the equation and it will fundamentally corrupt a relationship and it will fund fundamentally turn what is supposed to be independent media into dependent media and they're dependent on the government dollars that they're supposed to be reporting on. So you don't need to be Nostradamus to know how that corrupts a relationship. Well, absolutely. And we saw that we saw the interesting blog post come out from a former CBC journalist that said just that, you know, the, the, the powers that be in society, big corporations, governments amassing power, uh, the CBC doesn't ask them questions, doesn't, isn't skeptical about them. Well, of course not. That's, that, that's who they owe their livelihood to. Instead, they're skeptical of, you know, just regular everyday Canadians who don't hold the correct uh, trendy left-wing opinions, right? Well, for sure. And, and you see the trend, but you also then see it reflected in legislation. I forget if it's Bill C-10 or C-16, the one that wanted to regulate social media, internet, the way they regulate television and radio. And you had, uh, oh, that guy with the mustache, I forget his name now, the Minister of Heritage. Gilbo. Gilbo. You know, coming out and saying, we're not going to regulate independent accounts unless they're big, unless they make money off their accounts. Well, that's how you see the political infiltration uh, into the independent media, where they say, like, all of the subsidies, all of the protection that the government has given the media, the, 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 the scratching each other's back, still losing ground. So what does the what do the politicians have to do? Come in and regulate the, the, the wild west of the information landscape, the way they've regulated television and radio. Um, but it has, it, it, it's an evolution in process. And you see that the, the powers that be are going after where the freedom is. And that's why it's, it's important for maybe a separate discussion, but independent, independent content creators, important for them to fight back on this realm where you basically have the government wanting to regulate and control the internet the way they control television and radio. And it's wild to see uh, it just how, how they're all kind of working in lockstep together. You see social media giants uh, completely silencing any dissenting opinions. And if anything, that just grows the sort of intrigue and interest. I mean, you've seen this with the sort of vaccine skeptic uh, movement throughout the pandemic. It's like any side of the story that's just talking about, hey, hey, what are some of the unintended consequences? What are some of the downsides about rushing out these um, these these vaccines? It's like the information just disappears and the people get deplatformed and, and it kind of raises intrigue like what, what why, why are you silencing them the, the more that they're silenced the more intrigued i am and so they're kind of like doing the exact opposite of of what they intend to do it, it is known as the streisand effect but it's also just known as the you know eye-opening effect it's the red pill people are now seeing at the time back in the day when the vaccine was being rolled out if you suggested there were potential side effects even side effects that are known for all vaccines all of anything that goes into your body can trigger a response even if you stated those you were deplatformed, suspended, banned. And then just today, CTV comes out with an article that would have gotten you banned probably 12 hours ago or certainly 12 months ago that uh, the vaccine is uh, interfering with women's menstrual cycles. Whereas had anybody said that a year ago, they would have been banned, deplatformed, uh, you know, depersoned, whatever. And so it, it, it is interesting. On the one hand, it's the Streisand effect. But on the other hand, when people see the truth finally come out and they're like, whoa, the people they were going after a year ago were saying the same things that the mainstream media is saying now exactly the same thing with the origins of COVID. It was a bannable offense to suggest that it originated in man-made in a lab in Wuhan, China. Bannable offense. Uh, and now it's become mainstream media uh, headlines. So when people see this happen in real time, it's eye-opening, it's awakening, but it also causes the powers to fight back even harder, to maintain control over their, their, their allowing others to access information and knowledge. And that's, that's what the battle is over right now. Absolutely. I, I couldn't have said it better myself. And we've seen it so many times. I mean, it's like 
you know, you're not allowed to put anything out there that promotes vaccine um, skepticism. Uh, but then all of a sudden the government pulls AstraZeneca because they say it's not safe. They pull Johnson and Johnson because they say it's not safe. It's like, <laughs> you, you know, you're giving us reason to be skeptical. Well, Viva, I, David, sorry, I keep calling you Viva, but David, if you, if yeah, I, I wanted to bring you on today to really talk about Quebec because sort of from an outsider's perspective, there's two things that happen. One, it seems like you guys always have the most heavy handed restrictions. And then second, it seems like whatever's happening in Quebec eventually happens in the rest of the country. So, you know, you guys had to lock down over the holidays. And then, you know, as soon as uh, a few weeks later, it was like Ontario, BC, Manitoba, everyone followed suit. So you live in Quebec, I lived through some of the most severe restrictions. Uh, Why is it that the government in Quebec seems to be so heavy handed um, about COVID? And why do people put up with it? Uh, I cannot answer the question. Well, let me, I can answer the question of why people put up with it, but it presupposes or it'll, it, it causes me or forces me to divine intention. I think people are terrified on the one hand, they have been bombarded with, I'm going to call it fake news, fear porn for the last two years to the point where they are now so scared of a sniffles, so scared of Omicron that I know personally people who have actually isolated their children for 10 days uh, in a house so that the parents don't get exposed to this. Um, people have been traumatized with fear and it's a normal human condition. I, I, I think part of being a rebel is like, the more people push, the more you push back. And I, I, I was of the persuasion where I followed for a bit, you know, two weeks to flatten the curve, let's all do our part. But the more they kept pushing, it's in my nature to push back. And now two years later, I'm, I'm off the rails to some. I don't, but they put up with it because of fear. Some of them put up with it because it just doesn't, it doesn't affect them. You know, some people have done better under all of this, and it has not compromised their lives. If you don't go out at night, if you don't have kids in school, if you don't uh, have a job that was that was shut down, if you don't have a business that was shut down, if you didn't live a lifestyle that was not affected, or if you can maintain the lifestyle nonetheless, just pay more for travel, uh, do whatever is required uh, in terms of financial uh, expenses to live the life that you've always lived, well, you're not going to complain. Some people have done better. Uh, in which case they're not going to complain either. So really it is, it's the middle of the road people who have been suffering the brunt of this, but they have been, uh, they've been forced into silence to some extent because you can't complain about it because you're selfish. You can't uh, complain about it because you're undermining the science. So for a number of reasons, people have been forced into silence, but I think the more that people speak up, the more that people speak out of others. I don't know that Quebec's been leading this, because you know they've been they've been nuts over in the Maritimes bubble for a while. You know they had the cross border uh, blockade uh, from the Maritime bubble to Quebec and Ontario. Uh, you know they were prohibiting uh, by way of injunction peaceful assembly protests against the measures in Nova Scotia, Alberta locking up pastors. Uh, Canada as a whole has been on on the on the free fall sort of in tandem. Quebec might. Uh, have a little more liberty, I should say, in pulling away people's liberties, because they've already done it enough historically. Uh, in the province, we're used to laws that prohibit religious facewear because we've, 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 we've tolerated them pre-COVID. We're used to laws that restrict language rights because they were there pre-COVID. So comes down to it at the end of the day, you're in Quebec, say, okay, well, just two weeks to flatten the curve. Now we're going to lock in your house. People are so terrified, they won't speak out against it. Uh, people are so terrified, they think it's necessary. And others, uh, too late. You can't say anything about it because it's already there. But it really does feel like we're living through a, a, a real-time, real-life Milgram experiment where you have experts, medical experts, Horatio Ruda, literally imposing a curfew that they themselves, in real time, acknowledge has no scientific basis. And it's just like, hey, let's just let's just see if this works. Better do something because at least if we do something, people are going to think we're doing something, and they're not going to think we're doing nothing. Where 
in this case, doing nothing might have been less destructive than doing what they're doing. But I don't, I don't think we're leading the way. I think we have a bit of a precedent in Quebec, given our language laws and given some other laws that we uh, have accepted that limit our freedoms. But Canada has been going downhill pretty quickly, pretty much in tandem. Uh, but yeah, no, you're Quebec absolutely right. Yeah, you're right. I, I, sh I shouldn't pick on, on Quebec, David, because I know like one, one of the most egregious things that have happened in the entire pandemic was when Ontario Premier, Conservative Premier Doug Ford um, gave police permission to stop anybody at any time, any place uh, to ask them what they're doing out, which is sort of an Australian measure. And one of the one of the most, uh, you know, empowering and, and heartening moments of the of the pandemic is that the police, by and large, said, no, we're not doing that. We're not enforcing this um, unconstitutional, irrational uh, edict and, and and then it so sort of went away. So certainly we've seen madness um, across the entire spectrum. One, one thing that I, I found is that in some ways the laws that uh, are designed to kind of pick on young people and, and disproportionately harm young people are sort of like the ones that they, they get the most attention and, and are in some ways most popular. I know we saw a group of Quebec influencers on an airplane uh, you know they're out of the country. They chartered a plane. It's it's their it's their own private plane, and yet this this elicited outrage from the media and politicians. I know Justin Trudeau commented on it. Um, the idea of a curfew it re it really is to impact young people who who by and large you know people in their twenties don't really have the same uh, impact from COVID. They don't really die and they don't get sick in the same number. So it's like all of these all of these blunt heavy handed measures. Um, they, they harm young people the most because they're the least likely to get sick and the most likely to have this sort of negative societal effects that will be with them their whole lives. And that's one of my biggest criticisms is just how, you know, rather than like saying, hey, let's just make sure that we protect the most vulnerable. It's like we just have these blanket laws that impact everyone and, and harm young people. That's not even getting into the impact on kids in schools and forcing little kids to wear masks, forcing little kids to get vaccinated, uh, w w you know, without without the long-term data of long-term side effects and consequences. It's, it's all just been really, really disheartening. It's 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 madness. And, you know, I, I went through uh, on one of my videos uh, talking to some McGill students they're, they're in isolation in university. If they have unlawful gatherings, they can get suspended from school, uh, forced to pay fines to the government. Uh, they're forced to go into, you know, pay for accommodations off campus. Uh, then you get into, you know, the compelled vaccination of teenagers and giving them the vaccine passports. My kid at her school uh, saw people kicked off the soccer field when they wanted to try out for soccer because they weren't fully vaccinated. 13-year-old kids. I mean, th this is... It's, it's psychological abuse, it's unscientific, it's unconstitutional, it's immoral, it's, it's everything. And, you know, so without getting too much into that, you know, at the very least in Ontario, your police uh, said, no, we're not going to do this. In Quebec, they're literally arresting everybody who's out protesting the curfew. Uh, it, it, it's a weird thing. Quebec's police have always been a little... They've been a, the, Quebec's police have always had a reputation within Canada, more so than other provinces. But what is interesting is just seeing the powers that be respond to this, who opposes it, who willingly enforces it, who gleefully enforces it. But it's the, I won't say part of the plan, it's just the uh, side benefit of the plan is that when you get everyone dependent on the state or fearful of the state, you get everyone adhering to the edicts of the state, regardless of whether or not they agree with them and regardless of whether or not they're scientific. So the police need their paychecks. The people can't afford the fines. And so you end up having everyone living in fear and I mean, it, it is nothing shy of tyranny. And I believe by the true definition of the term fascism, it's nothing but fascism where you have government working with corporations, working with the media, all having their beautiful orgy of power 
to reign in the population and basically control every aspect of their life, right down to who they can have in their own house for private gatherings, which are currently outlawed in Quebec, if you can believe that. It's crazy, David, because if you had described any of this to us, you know, three years ago, four years ago, that these kind of measures were happening, we, I, w- I would never believe you. You know, if someone said, hey, Donald Trump just got elected and guess what he's going to do? And he named everything that Justin Trudeau has done in the last year. I would say you're completely wacko and that would never happen in North America. And yet here we are and, and, and it's happening and it's happened. I know, you, you know, you're you're a brilliant legal mind and you are also an activist. So what what is it that you're doing to push back against this? And what can other Canadians do uh, that say enough? is enough. We want our freedoms back. We want to go back to normal. We don't want to live under this medical tyranny anymore. I'm not sure if I'm a brilliant legal mind and I'm not sure if I'm an activist because I, at bottom end of the day, I, you know, I don't tell people to go out and protest. I don't tell people to go out and break the law and I don't do it myself. Uh, I, I raise awareness. I think I explain what's going on. I explain why I think it's fundamentally unconstitutional, uh, why I think it's fundamentally immoral and why I think it's fundamentally unscientific in my limited, uh, you know, I'm not a scientist, but I, I have a brain and I can read articles. And I can also see what the scientists are saying now compared to what they said a year ago. Uh, raise awareness, explain what's at issue. I've had these discussions with people over the last two years, like, sure, there's some have said there's a risk the government goes too far. And I, and I keep needling, like, is it too far now? When they pepper sprayed the guy in the face at Tim Hortons because he wasn't wearing a mask, was it too far then? When they're compelling vaccination of 12 year olds, is it too far now? third shot in Quebec, or you won't be able to go into grocery stores. Is it too far now in New Brunswick? Is it too far now? So sometimes, you know, like I think it was Orwell who said in times of madness, stating the obvious is a revolutionary act. Just keep stating the obvious. The problem is I am not sure that people um, want the change. I think there's a lot of people who are, I won't say beyond the point of, of, of repair, but who are certainly in the frame of mind right now that they're double masking outside. And when you have a significant enough portion of the population that thinks that we actually need these measures to stave off an existential threat to our very existence, uh, they will do anything. I mean, it's, uh, who said it? Nietzsche, if you can get people to believe the absurd, you can get them to commit atrocities, you know, something along those lines. We're at the point where a large portion of the population are now firmly embedded in believing the absurd and they, I think they cannot bring themselves to admit that they believe the absurd because it would have to mean that they were duped, uh, which would be an attack on their own intelligence. It would be an attack on their own ego. And so they cannot admit that. And they just have to keep going further and further into the, into the scenario. I won't say the lie out of respect. Uh, so I, I don't know that you can have the change until you have enough people who want the change. Uh, I don't think it can be a violent change. I don't think it can be an unlawful change because I've been saying this from the beginning, when people say, well, why don't you go out there and you know, break curfew and break the law? I'm thoroughly convinced that nothing would play more into the hands of the, of the, of the tyrants, of Trudeau, of Legault, than to have people out there breaking windows, breaking the laws. Because th- when they did that in old Montreal and they smashed some windows and Lord knows who did it, because I don't know that there were people part of the actual movement that did it. What, d- what happens? Police on the street. And so it, it can't be a, a, a violent solution. It has to be a political one because it's not going to be a judicial one because I've seen how the courts are just not doing anything. The courts are not intervening. In Quebec, we had a, a lawyer challenge the curfew on an injunctive basis. The court said, no, not, not a serious enough uh, violation. Uh, Les Entrepreneurs en Action de Quebec, EAQ, sued for the lockdown measures, the face masks. The court said, no, face masking kids is, is, is justifiable because the risk, however minimal, is there. The quarantine hotels have been upheld at the federal level. The courts are not going to do anything. There's no judge that's going to want blood on his or her hands 
by having struck down a law and then have someone blame him for the deaths of someone in an old person home. Uh, the politicians are not going to make any change now because they see it's too beneficial to keep pushing this fear. Uh, Trudeau himself will never let up on this because this COVID pandemic has been the biggest blessing for Trudeau's reign as prime minister because nobody's talking about Aga Khan's scandal. Nobody's talking about SNC-Lavalin scandal. Nobody's talking about Wee's charity scandal. There was another one I forgot which. Oh, I always forget the third one. No, the fourth one. Nobody's talking about his scandals anymore. And he gets to go into full tyrannical parent mode. He's got our backs. Uh, and it's the perfect distraction. So don't expect him to walk anything back. Don't expect Legault to walk anything back because while he's jamming down these unconstitutional laws, he's trying to jam down other unconstitutional laws. Bill C-96, the reform to Bill 101. So they love it. It's the biggest power grab for the government and they're, they're, they're never gonna give back the power. And if the solution is not gonna be political at, by the will of the people, the people are going to live with it. And that's going to be that. It's, it's, it's sad to think because I think you're right. So many people do in some ways benefit, not maybe not necessarily, you know, benefit from the, the overarching fear that they, that they live with. But it's like, you know, if it's the middle of winter and it's negative 30 outside and you don't have to go to work, you can just work from home. That's, that's really a lot better. Right. So I, I think, unfortunately, a lot of people have just slid into this sort of comfort and they want to put their safety. They're willing to put their safety ahead of everything else, uh, sacrifice their liberty for security. Um, and, and we know that they'll get neither. But, um, you're right. We, we definitely have our work cut out for us, David. And I'm, I'm so glad that there are people like you out there sort of on the front lines of the internet, explaining everything, breaking everything down, helping us stay um, educated and aware of, of all the various problems. So I, I, I thank you for your YouTube channel and all the work you do over there. And I really appreciate you joining the show today. Thank you very much for having me. It was great. All right. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Candace Malcolm, and this is The Candace Malcolm Show.